to Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black Light Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Black Light, to another episode. We have a special guest calling in from Virginia to talk to us about restorative justice because that's a very important subject that is touched on but not touched on a lot. So go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Okay, my name is DeAnthony Jeremiah Long, and I'm from Roanoke, Virginia, 32 years of age. I've been incarcerated since I was 19 years old in the Department of Corrections for robbery, carjacking, and attempted molestation on a police officer. All right, D'Anthony. So that 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 was a lot. Do you kind of want to tell us, you know, like your little a little bit of your story? A lot of people like to to kind of get the background and kind of understand. I think it's important for people to understand, you know, what led somebody to commit a crime because a lot of times that's not highlighted enough. Okay. Um. Well, I come from broken family, poverty, you know, underserved community. What led to my crime was. On the night, it was a late spring night. I was under the influence of drinking, smoking, completely erratic and unconscious. And one night I went out, I grabbed my gun and decided to go hold somebody at gunpoint. You know, a lot of things led up to that, to that night, you know, but in a nutshell, that's what happened. I was just completely oblivious, you know, of, of the consequences of my actions. You know, and I had no recall for authority. Uneducated. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of factors there, but you know, this is a story that we're familiar with, right. you know, especially for a young black kid coming up. So, you know, a lot of us are unaware, you know, the ramifications of our actions and what they do. They've been desensitized by our community and environment. So, you know, but I take full accountability for my actions. You know. Still, those are the things that kind of hold up to it. So, tell us something positive that you've done um, since you've been incarcerated to to change your life around, accept accountability. Wow. Okay. Um, throughout most of the years of my incarceration, thirteen years going now, I was kind of I was absent-minded. It was like I was asleep, you know, throughout my entire you know incarceration phase. One day, I, I just I woke up and realized that I was in prison. You know, and ever since then, I've been like on the path of redemption to, you know, to restore myself, you know, to, to repair that harm that I've committed. You know, I've been studying the law, I've, you know, taking advantage of all the educational opportunity, and, and it didn't really dawn on me, you know, you know, the severity of my crime and how serious it was until I started studying the law. You know, I started studying the law a few years back, frequenting the law library, reading all the law books I can, and eventually, End up, you know, I earned a paralegal degree, you know, and that right there, that it, it just, it really awoke me, you know. Um, that's like the highlight of my rehabilitation right there is my education. Education is the key. Education is very important. Um, and I'm glad that you were able to, you know, actually buckle down and start studying the law. I actually think that we need more people that are incarcerated to help with legal services to help get people out because i mean it just seems like a lot of attorneys just don't have the time for it 
or, you know, with so many people that are wrongfully convicted and it's just not enough resources. And so I think that's very important. So talk to us about the TED Talk. Oh, okay. Well, the TED Talk. Okay. For those unfamiliar with a TED Talk, a TED Talk is a public forum for dialogue, facilitated for the purpose of sharing ideas and concerns with the community. And being that this TED Talk here in Virginia is going to be in the prison. So what this essentially means is that the audience will be integrated among those invited, which will range from community stakeholders, um, prison administrators, executives, legislators, as well as social representatives, media, business proprietors, entertainers. We might have former former Governor Terry McCullough of Virginia here, as well as um, a notable author, John Grisham, might be attending now again. You know, we definitely looking forward to his, his attending. People that would be invited. So this is how I believe all these people being facilitated in the room, being brought together, you know, integrated amongst, you know, the crowd with incarcerated individuals represents a significant strive to bridging, you know, removing barriers, hence that's the theme, bridging the gap. That's what we're trying to do, bridge the gap between corrections and community. It was very possible that a prosecutor, law enforcement, or a policymaker, or some other notable figure of the public body may be seated next to the very ones who society has condemned and buried away, you know. What this does is humanize us, you know, this makes us more relatable, you know, people, this, this makes us seem, you know, when mm -hmm. we're sitting right next to the people who have the power to change everything, you know, but, you know, there's some people really typically don't understand, you know, what they don't know, you that know, don't true. know what they don't understand, you know, they're knocking out that barrier, that communication barrier is going to be critical. What are you so, hoping sure. that the people of the justice system, what are you hoping that they take away from this TED Talk or absorb? We definitely, this, this TED Talk has never been, I, I have to, I have to, you know, I have to build this because this right here is, is such a mon monumental opportunity. It is the first, it's going to be the first TEDx event in the South, so it's never happened nowhere else in the South before. You know, just looking at the history of Virginia and, and being conservative, you know, these type of initiatives have usually been turned away. I would like to use this TED Talk to help change the narrative, right, of incarcerated individuals, to humanize us, and really, really affect some type of profound, powerful criminal justice reform with this event right here. Virginia has a history of harsh, punitive policies, you know, that keep people locked up for indeterminate periods of time with normal life sentences. Virginia abolished parole in the early in the early 1990s. In North know, we Carolina, 85% of our time. Mm -hmm. North Carolina too. You want to talk to us about restorative justice and what it means and how it could change the whole narrative? Okay. Well, restorative justice. Restorative justice is a it's a powerful concept. It's a mindset. You know, it's a global initiative. Restorative justice is touching the world right now. It's touching the public education sectors, work the workforce setting. I mean agriculture, I mean, restorative justice is, is everywhere, but it's basically a, it's a, it's a principle. And it can be defined as a three-pronged approach as far as criminal justice is concerned and achieving justice and healing for our communities. That involves the victim, community, defender, in that order. So if it stands on three pillars of our needs and obligations, but the most critical component of restorative justice in terms of criminal justice is that it genuinely satisfies the victim. That upholds public safety while simultaneously reducing violent crime, recidivism, mass incarceration, and the most 
cost-effective way for taxpayers. So it's a utilitarian approach. I believe that the overall, the overarching idea and practical mindset of restorative justice is needed here in Virginia and in North Carolina as well. Yes, um, I totally agree. I know that North Carolina is attempting to try restorative justice. We've actually done it in one of our prisons to kind of help heal the community. And that's the problem that public safety and prosecutors have not grasped is the fact that because you are giving somebody a life sentence or the death penalty or 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, that is not healing the victim. And on top of that, you actually have to make sure the person that you are giving this amount of time to actually committed that crime. Because we know we across America, there's a lot of people wrongfully convicted, especially the black and brown and poor communities who are wrongfully convicted and wrongly accused of a crime that they never committed. But when somebody does commit a crime, healing each other, because when somebody commits a crime, they're committing the crime because of poverty or economic or generational trauma. And then when the victim's family is dealing with the loss of their loved one that they will never see again, giving somebody that amount of time or death penalty or the, or, you know, just an ungodly amount of time is still not going to heal the open wound. And so I've heard a lot of families say that, you know, after the person was convicted that they still didn't feel like that solved anything because they still have that open wound that is not healed. And so when you're healed, then you're able to look past, you know, saying you want somebody to get the death penalty or saying you want somebody to get this insane amount of time. Like, I do believe that when people commit crimes, there do, does need to be accountability and maybe some time to think about that, but not an amount of time to say, oh, well, you can never be rehabilitated because everybody can be rehabilitated. And we know that sometimes the people in power commit crimes, but because they're in power, that goes under the rug. And we always have to understand that everybody's human and everybody makes mistakes. And we got to get out the ca the cancel culture, as we call it, where we just cancel people away and say that you'll never be rehabilitated. But you won't be if you don't offer rehabilitation. And so I think that restorative justice needs to go in the prisons, but it also needs to go for the people that work in the prisons because your environment can make it hard for you to take accountability and really sit down and understand what you've done because you're still receiving trauma from staff. Right, right. And uh, Virginia, Virginia has been shifting towards this model. You know, they've been doing a lot of the type of, a lot of uh, trauma-informed training. So they have been, they have been trying. It's going to be collaboration on all levels to affect this, you know. Mm -hmm. It's important to really make a difference, you know, and truly, truly transform our criminals. You know, it's, it's a very simple it's a very simple concept, a complex at the same, but accountability is, is the foundational beliefs of what accepting accountability for is action. You know, that's, that's at the forefront. You know, I don't believe a victim can hold for if the individual who, you know, offended him or her, you know, accepts accountability. So. I agree. I agree. Technology has been 
and I hope people are supportive of the TED Talks. I think I'll go online and find a TED Talk see what it is, or you can go, you can go into www.proximityforjustice.org and collaborate if you want, you know, and you can set up a TED Talk event in your, in your local community as well. I really, really implore everybody to be involved in the TED, TED Talk. So. And I'm starting to see a lot of formerly incarcerated people do TED Talks as well, and I think that's very important for them to share their story of how they made it through incarceration, but also what they're doing in their community to change things, being that they experience the system. So it's very important that we continue to, you know, give back and inform and reform, because if you're not close to the situation, you will never understand what it is until, you know, you've been directly or indirectly impacted. Right, right, right. So Virginia has a legislative history of the conscious restorative justice program. It's told in the early 1990s. And, um, and it basically said that that the structures that were in place that were already implemented practices, but the only problem is they didn't collaborated the well again just the system, you know. It did a lot to enhance the people's rights. But it's again it's the three it's like what do we do? And I think to look at factors and everything that all the pathology that we eat to grow how can we benefit that and that's where restorative restorative engages the community. It builds community structures and gets people involved and you know nobody comes back, you know, that everybody's safe and healthy and healthy and Exactly. And that's what's important is ensuring that the whole community is is healing and the whole community is safe. And I think that's the mark that public safety has missed, trying to really understand that you have to heal both sides of the coin, not just one, or just feeling like giving a long sentence is going to fix the pain that people feel. Back into the community. What then are my obligations, you know, that I must fulfill? And what is my community's obligation? So it's, you know, what parts of our political, educational, and Social institutions need reforming in order in order to ensure public safety and that all human rights. Right? That's what I'm saying. I'm glad that it's disadvantaged. Partially, I still play the active role in ensuring my school. I believe now that it's coming to rectify it and help them rebuild my community into a better place than I inherited. When it comes to justice, I believe the problem isn't the methods to achieve victim satisfaction, nor the obligations that I have to, you know, to do to prepare the harm. Now, it's on the other side. It's on the other side of the bridge. You know, what is the community going to do to make sure that, you know, that, with, that the larger society issues, you know, are not creating a redemptive stumbling block, you know, to justice for, for me as well. That is true. And then, you know, I hope that it also shifts the way that the people in power think, because, you know, as we all know, prison is a billion dollar, you know, industry and that they need to understand that you can also have a growing economical 
society when everybody is putting in, not just, you know, having people incarcerated and getting free labor. And that comes with a lot of the companies that are getting free labor services. And so I know in North Carolina, one of the companies has done away with contracting with the prison to do free labor and they're going to do, you know, do something else. And so I hope that that is a prime example and more people start going that direction to understand you can't use bodies to get free labor in order to excel your economic status. Right. What the thing is not a thing that I'm hoping about is more educational opportunities, especially while people are in prison. People are sitting around idly in prison. It's a lot of strain on the institution to provide quality rehabilitation services that they need. You know, but a whole lot of people wouldn't be in prison if they were actually if they had education. Like mm-hmm. for me, for example, what I mean, I couldn't take accountability unless I learned the law, how my community and the healthy society function, you know, in my relation to the state. When I learned the law, I began to feel a genuine remorse for breaking the law, right? And I mm-hmm. felt connected to my community. You know, education, I believe public awareness, education, among others, is very, very important in prison. I mean, it's what determines the quality of an individual's personal and interpersonal life. So education is vital. That's true. Especially while in prison. That's true. Well, DeAnthony, thank you for your story. Definitely share it. And okay. send me your information just in case people want to get in contact and reach out and see how we can collaborate. Okay. Well, you can hit me on Facebook on D Jeremiah Mark on Facebook, or if you want to support the TED Next Talk, to go on www.proximityforjustice.org. And I encourage you to also give them to a major support the TED Next Talk. It's a professional filmmaker, producer, and thing. A lot of research and all right, D'Anthony, is there anything else you want the audience to know? No, I really, really appreciate this opportunity to speak. Sure. Yeah, call and check in. Um, especially check in after the TED talk. We want to hear how it went and what you think. You know how it was perceived. Okay. Well, right now there's one. other ones that have stopped continuously happening that are going on. Just right now, one in Missouri, another in uh, Midwest somewhere. So again, reach out uh, to www.proximityjustice.org to Miss Delia Cohen. And you can organize a TEDx event in your local community and reach the people that you need to reach in your community as well. All right. That is amazing. All right, D'Anthony, you take care. All right. Thank you again. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Your host, Sierra Cobb. Take care.